Healthcare and senior care is fraught with problems and challenges, but we're also seeing some amazing new clinical treatments and resources. This show will help illuminate and uncover the good, bad, and the ugly in order to equip patients, families, and other healthcare providers. Welcome to Senior Care Confidential. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Senior Care Confidential. I'm here with my co-host, Joe Alch. Hello there, Brian. And today, we are talking about longevity with a, a foremost expert in the field. His name is Dr. Thomas Johnson. He is the Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Colorado within the Division of Geriatrics. So welcome, Dr. Johnson. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So how did you get into the field of gerontology or, or lifespan versus health. Maybe we should do, do a couple of definitions on that too, but how'd you get into the field of the longevity and anti-aging? Yeah. So for me, uh, I, I was doing my residency in internal medicine and I really just uh, became interested in how uh, patients age and seeing how we take care of them uh, at the end of their lives. I was fascinated by seeing how one uh, 86-year-old may seem way younger than a patient who may be 72, you know, and right. aging is so heterogeneous. So it was uh, really interesting to me to learn more about these types of patients and why this happens. So, so what is longevity? Define that for us. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I have so many patients that come to me and they say, Dr. Johnson, I want to live to 100 years old. And uh, I, I think that kind of hits more at longevity. So longevity is uh, increasing uh, the, the span of your life. What I challenge my patients in is tell me more about that. I ask them, tell me more about what you want your life to look like at age 100. And I, I challenge them and say, I bet that there are certain there's a certain quality of life that you would say, is, is not appropriate um, and is not meeting your goals for yourself. And so you would not want to be 100 years old if you had a certain low quality of life, however you define that. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of concept is the idea of health span. So instead of just increasing our lifespan, so increasing the years to uh, reach more minutes and hours um, lived in our life, we, we try to focus on healthy aging, which increases our health span. So meeting uh, more of our quality of life, our functional goals, um, and our relational goals with people around us. Do you find that there are ways to score that or to measure that? Like health span, where obviously lifespan is the chronological, the chronological age. Have you guys discovered some ways to map or uh, measure the health span? Yeah, I think I, I think it's actually really tricky because it's super subjective yeah. to people. So um, I, you know, I would even caution trying to really uh, measure it because you know there could be some ableist undertones for that. And so, so you know, there are patients that I have that say, "Hey, I would be totally fine living in X circumstance in X location," but then I have other patients that say, "Hey." If I can't be riding my bike every day, that is not a quality of life I want. So I think it's really difficult to measure, and that's what makes my job so fun. Gotcha, gotcha. But are there some immeasurable things that you guys are looking at? I don't know if it's like calcium, calcium scores within the heart. Like there's, you know, you see all these ads now on these. I think what they call DEXA scans or something. Are there is there some value in getting those kind of things done? 
That's that's a great question. So uh, spe specifically with the calcium scoring, so that's a great way in our younger patients um, to look at uh, early signs of coronary artery disease. Unfortunately, you know, my patients are all over the age of 75. So uh, yeah. almost all of them will have an elevated coronary artery calcium score when we when we look at them. And it doesn't necessarily rule in that they have symptomatic coronary artery disease. So we go off of the symptoms a lot. However, I will say for younger patients, um, coronary artery calcium scoring is an amazing tool. And I think, um, you know, uh, cardiologists and primary care physicians are really striving to incorporate that more into their practice. Gotcha. Okay. So, Thomas, I have a question for you. Or, or Dr. Johnson, I apologize. Um, yeah. Uh, I have a question for you. So, I had grandmothers that lived to be the late 90s. My grandfathers both lived in their 80s, my parents in their 80s. So, so what is the deal? I have friends whose parents have both passed away in their 50s and 60s. And so, is this a should I plan on living to be 85, 90? Or how, how does that work with parents? When parents die younger, um, is that a genetic thing? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, and something people have always been asking about, you know, is it nature? Is it nurture? And uh, twin studies have shown that about 25% of longevity so purely that uh, lifespan is related to genetics. That being said, um, when I have a patient who says, hey, my family member died at age 65, healthcare was very different back um, when that, that person passed away. And our habits, our lifestyles were very different at that time mm -hmm. too. Very common for people to smoke. Obviously, um, now with our information we have, we really strive to uh, decrease smoking. We're also really encouraging people to live that active lifestyle, physically active and eat a healthy diet, which wasn't necessarily the case previously. So just because you had a family member who passed away early does not mean that you are destined for that same, um, that same lifespan. However, I will say it just highlights the importance of living those healthy lifestyle, um, that healthy lifestyle that uh, your doctors are telling you about, your providers are telling you about. Okay, so, so as a patient that comes into your office at 75 and they say, I want to live, I want to have the best day of my life every day, what do you recommend? Um, I... I always recommend first telling me what does that best day look like? Cause it is different for each patient. And so what I talk to these people about is really a lot of the things they've heard from doctors, but I, I reinforce these things. So limiting uh, no smoking and limited alcohol. You know, this is a controversial topic with alcohol. Some studies show a glass of red wine um, every day can be beneficial in some areas. Other studies show that even one um, alcoholic beverage a day has uh, can damage your cognition. Mm -hmm. So I think it's an individualized decision you make uh, with your physician. What I really encourage people on, and I, I know Brian will uh, back me up on this, 
with older adults, it's even more important that we emphasize physical activity. We live that highly mobile, we live that active lifestyle that is vital for patients to age in a healthy way. Yeah, yeah. I just ran across a, uh, an article not too long ago. It's, it they are actually starting to recommend. I don't know if you guys have seen this in your practice or not, but these these particular researchers were talking about maybe we should add a separate vital sign. So they're calling it a PAVS, so physical activity vital sign. And the way that they define that is the number of days out of the week that you exercise moderate moderate exercise times the number of minutes on average and that's your PAVS and so they're re- they're recommending i think the number was like 150 minutes per week of moderate exercise and so they're kind of using that as a separate way of granted there's some vital signs that we look at heart rates respiration rates blood pressures or whatever but if we're starting to look at you know health span longevity those kind of things then maybe we should start adding this into you know one of the numbers that we track as well and i will say too in the senior communities that i go to visit to see clients they are really stepping it up on activities. Yeah. I mean, people don't want to do bingo and trivia anymore. They want activities, and it's it's wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful to see that. And volunteers, getting people to volunteer to help with that it was, would really make somebody's oh, for sure. day yeah. better. Yes. Uh, that physical activity vital sign, we actually, in our clinic, uh, we measure every patient's gait speed as they walk into clinic. So we have laser timers. It looks like an NFL combine. When they walk into clinic, we just say, hey, walk your normal gait speed. They pass through two lasers and we measure their gait speed. And that's actually uh, a gait speed is just as good as a timed up and go, which is another test we use to measure physical function. Takes less time and we incorporate it into our rooming. So it is essentially a vital sign for us. And so with that information, we can actually learn not only about their physical functioning, so it can tell us, is it safe for them to walk across the street? Is it, uh, are they at risk for falls? It actually tells us about mortality and a patient's general health overall. So I can even monitor patients where I see, hey, this patient came to see me, their gait speed was 0.9 meters per second, which is pretty good. Our goal is above one, um, but then the next time they see me, it dips down to 0.5 meters per second. Before I even step in the room, I have a clue something's going on here, and all the other vital signs may be the same. I talk to them. They may have an infection. I had one patient that, because of that visit, we got uh, an ultrasound of this person's heart and found they needed a valve replacement wow. in their gait speed. They got the valve replacement, went right back up. So for those of us that don't have fancy academic (laughs) places like y'all, what can we do? Like in a home, like are there Apple watches or Garmin's or anything? Like I know my my Apple watch will do it'll because I walk quite a bit. It will do like my my minute pace per you know per mile or whatever. Is there something that will do it like that defined in the home? In the home. Yeah, so actually on every iPhone, if you look in the Apple Health section, um, there are mobility scores, and it actually goes into a lot of detail. One of them is gait speed. You can change the units of that to meters per second. Um, Oh, I love it. I will say that it's not super specific, so it's not as good of a measurement. It gives you a general trend and it's telling you your walk your gait speed throughout the day so that can be even be you know first thing in the morning that can be you know 
um, when you are trying to walk fast. So it's not as good as your usual gait speed, which is what is actually studied. But that can give you a clue to how things are going. But if if I gave them my if, if I gave them my sorry to interrupt if I gave them my cell phone and, and said put it in your pocket I just want you to walk this hallway just no, your your normal gate speed like I can track that over time right that way just for um, that short, short period or 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 the Apple phone let me do it that way the the functionality is not to that point yet okay. in the health app. All right, that's um, my next project. But if anyone from Apple is listening, you know, yeah. happy to collaborate. Oh, I love that. What a wow, great tool. Okay, that awesome. is awesome. So what about diet? Let's talk about what is the best diet for that patient over 75 that wants to live an optimal healthy life? Yeah, so my caveat for everything we discussed today is this is all individualized with your uh, personal healthcare provider. So discuss all of this with your healthcare provider. I know that they would be very excited to talk about this with you, but um, there are uh, you know unique diseases that require different changes to your diet. So I don't want to make um, you know a blanket statement without that caveat. However, um, you know there are a lot of different uh, studies that show different diets can be beneficial. Uh, diets are notoriously one of the most difficult things to study. What I would say is, in general, one of the most safe diets for people to pursue is a Mediterranean diet. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Yeah. T- yeah, Dr. Timothy Harlan, um, he is a, a former chef who became a physician, and he actually has a website, www.drgourmet.com, <laughs> where he posts recipes for free excuse me, every single week. And uh, on this website, uh, there's, you know, nothing for sale. He's not trying to sell a supplement. He just provides these recipes. And, you know, his thoughts, whenever you hear him talk, he talks about how even small changes, adding uh, more um, Mediterranean style foods into your life uh, can make substantial changes um, for you in your future. So what what the thought is, is that uh, perhaps these um, foods are more anti-inflammatory. Um, and so therefore, um, they result in less uh, sequelae of, or uh, less consequences of aging over time. Interesting. Okay. So now that this stuff is out there, I know you're a physician and you do some rounding. We'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll save um, your hospital, but as a general rule, like when you were going through uh, your physician training or working in other hospitals, residency, whatever, where is the disconnect between that concept and the actual menu that patients get delivered? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes, it can be uh, very tricky um, because there are a lot of different uh, interests in why uh, we make the food that we do um, in hospitals, nearby clinics, things like that. And it's also sometimes hard to control you know, patients can have their family members deliver them sure. some food or call in a delivery. So I've had patients order Grubhub to their bed and I'm talking to them <laughs> and a delivery driver comes in with their food. So yeah. well, uh, it, can you know, we avoid the pancakes while you're going through well, substance? And you know, you know? <laughs> what the Grubhub and yeah. the Uber Eats, those are great. And, you know, I, I just, I even recommend to patients that are in assisted livings and nursing homes and 
for the families to bring healthy stuff, healthy snacks. And, you know, they don't have to eat all those carbs. You know, some of those trays that they get, it is crazy the amount of calories and carbs. And oh, yeah. it's, it's cheap processed food, you know. Um, so I always encourage, bring fresh fruit, you know, um, they can serve that applesauce and those little individual containers, things that are healthy and have less sugar. Speaking you know. of speaking of the sugar thing, do you recommend or have you guys been trialing anything with the continuous glucose monitoring on some of your patients? Have you have you found a, a, a decent use case for doing that? Uh, so we would love to. We actually submitted a grant to try to um, get more continuous glucose monitors in our clinic for uh, patients that previously it was not indicated in to explore um, low blood sugar events in older uh -huh. adults. Yeah. Uh, it, it can be very tricky to get that done. So uh, we do not have funding for that right now, but a lot of people are interested in continuous glucose monitoring and also looking at, okay, how does this relate to insulin sensitivity uh -huh. um, and how does that in turn relate to aging? You got it. Yeah. Well, and then if, if I'm interpreting some of the analysis or some of the theories appropriately, it's not necessarily the um, the averages of your blood sugars that they're most concerned with. Like, because some of us will have normal blood sugar readings, you know, fasted or whatever. They're concerned with the big spikes because your body has to deal with those big spikes, and so they're they're starting to think that maybe some of these spikes is why we see some of the earlier onset of some of these diseases. Which again, back to your comment about health span versus lifespan. The longer out that we can push out. Um, when you start to develop these comorbidities, the better your health span is going to be. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there's uh, a lot of effort into looking into um, what if we monitored the glucose of patients who don't have diabetes and how can that impact their health? And, you know, subjectively just hearing from people, you know, not in a rigorous study setting. I've had friends who have got CGMs, continuous glucose monitors, and just tried it on themselves. And they learned a lot about their diet and they learned a lot about how their bodies deal with certain foods. And that can be a useful feedback mechanism to see instant results oh, yeah. of what you're what you're eating instead of waiting for the pounds to yeah, go up, which is you know, a late effect of that bad diet. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I, I was listening to, there was a podcast um, I was listening to not too long ago. There was a doctor on there who had done, done this himself. And what he found was he would eat the same foods and he would he would vary what he ate. Like the, um, the, the first thing he ate, for example, would have been like the potato. And then the next time he would do it where he would eat the meat, he found if he ate, ate, ate the meat first, it actually um, suppressed his overall blood sugar spike. Um, and he thinks it's probably because, you know, the, the, um, the density of the protein food that you're eating slows down the motility of the, of the food moving through. And so it, it kind of blunts that big spike of, of sugars. Um, but fascinating, like to even kind of see some simple things like that, just modifying the, um, the sequence of what, of the foods that you eat on the same plate. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I mean, that kind of harkens back to why we always talk about the importance of whole grain foods. You know, that's a more difficult carbohydrate to process and has lots of fiber in it. Both yeah. those things uh, help prevent those giant glucose blood sugar spikes. Gotcha. Okay. So let's move on to optimizing mental health. Tell me your thoughts there. Yeah, so when we think about healthy aging, the American Geriatric Society has a couple different domains that we focus on. So um, we've talked about uh, managing our chronic conditions. Um, so that goes into our diet and physical activity. But some other areas we think about optimizing physical 
health, optimizing cognitive health, and optimizing mental health. And finally, uh, facilitating social interaction, which we can talk about in a little bit. Going back to uh, optimizing mental health, uh, as we all know, as we've all experienced because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and I would even say preceding that, uh, we are you know, experiencing a mental health crisis um, throughout the world, but also in the United States. Um, depression is something that can have massive effects on people, especially older adults. Right. And so um, making sure we take care of people's mood um, is, is vital for healthy aging. Absolutely. What do you recommend for that? Yeah. So I think one of the most important things is actually a lot of these healthy lifestyle habits yeah. we're talking about are actually what I call healthy mood habits. So these are things that help protect your mood, increase your resilience um, to different things occurring in your life. So physical activity and diet. Uh-huh. But I do think it's it's absolutely vital that we focus on social interaction. We saw how many people when they were isolated during the COVID-19 pandemic, how bad that was not only for their uh, mental health, their mood, but also um, for their physical health. And so we know that's actually a huge link is the social interaction yeah. um, related to someone's mental health. And in in turn, their physical health. Yeah, an isolated, depressed senior does not live very much longer, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, in fact, it's actually a higher risk factor if you're socially isolated as an older adult. It's you are at higher risk of death than if you were smoking. Is wow. that right? Wow. Yeah. Holy smokes! I, I did know. not know that. Wow. Fascinating. Yes. There was a. <clears throat> I shouldn't say there's always studies on depression. And I I looked at one of your presentations that you presented here um, not too long ago. And it kind of, it harkened back to some of the other things that I've looked at as well in terms of depression. And what they find is that there's certain movement, um, types of movements, types of activities that are really good. Like, for example, like getting out in the sunlight is really good for getting vitamin D and those kind of things. But even going beyond that part of it, they find that uh, like zone two exercise, are you familiar with that? So zone five is like max heart rate. Zone two, essentially for the audience, is like where you're walking at a pace where it's kind of slightly out of breath to talk, but you're you're managing it okay. Like your heart rate's slightly elevated, but not bad. And they find that if you do uh, I think it's 20 to 30 minutes, two to four times a week. And depending on the study, they'll, that's where their variance is. But they find that if you if you'll walk at that pace for uh, 20 to 30 minutes, two to four times a week, it actually starts to regenerate, re innervate or re, regenerate or rather um, and strengthen your mitochondria and your cells will actually grow more mitochondria in them. And so some of these studies actually think that some of the depression things that we're seeing is the weakening of the mitochondria, the, the, the powerhouses of our cells. And so when you start looking at that kind of stuff, you're like, wow, my gosh, like there's, there's so many little things that you can do. Um, like you said, physical activity, the uh, making sure we're, we're socially engaged with people, but there's all these little dials that you can that you can kind of play with to amplify, you know, your health span. It shows you how important physical activity is in our lives in so many aspects, in that it can even impact our bodies on the cellular level. Yeah, um, is pretty is pretty fascinating. Well, and I want to say, I know that senior centers, you know, just talking about what somebody might be listening and say, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm by myself. You know, I've lost my spouse. And 
But senior centers, churches, I know our church has a pickleball league now, and um, they do exercise programs. I mean, we're fortunate in Dallas, Texas, we have a lot of big churches, and they cater to the senior population. And um, so so to the listener wanting to find some kind of activity, um, you know, call your local senior source, um, your local church, you know, your chamber of commerce, and they can direct you as well. Yep. Yes. Yes. So every county has an area agency on aging. And um, a lot of times they have websites where people can access resources specifically designed for seniors. One of the things that's throughout the United States that's covered under uh, many Medicare Advantage programs is Silver Sneakers. Many people have heard of that. It has in-person classes, but also has virtual classes uh, with uh, feedback. So there still is a social element. So um, you know, if you're a listener looking to get more active, that but you have a hard time getting out of the house, you know, if you're comfortable using the internet or you need someone else to help you, um, try to get someone to help you log into Silver Sneakers and see if this is something that's covered under your insurance. Interesting. Yeah, I've heard of wow. the Silver Sneakers. Okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know, know they did a virtual one. Plans. I didn't know they were virtual. Either. Interesting. There's virtual everything yeah. now. So. Okay. I have one that's more great. question before we got to run. I could talk to you about this for hours. So um, I know that there is a... Um, there's a growing trend. I don't know if trend is the right word, but there's a growing interest, let's put it that way, in using metformin for people who are not diabetic. Explain what that is and why are we seeing that? And is there a long-term use in, uh, is there a case to be made for long-term use of this for anti-aging? Uh, you know, this is such a complex topic. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, but I, I, I think it's, you know, it's an interesting uh, direction that people are studying. So some studies have shown different effects of metformin, whether for cognition or um, cellular changes. And um, because of that, there's a lot of interest. Okay, could this be a medication that um, is anti-aging? Uh, another word for that is a gerotherapeutic. Can this uh, help prevent the, the damage of aging? Um, at the cellular level. And so there's a study that's going on right now called the TAME study, T-A-M-E. And okay. so uh, the results of that, as far as I know, are not out yet, um, but that's really diving into this. Um, I have seen one study that looked at uh, adults who are exercising. They um, put some of them on metformin, some of them on placebo, and the results honestly were mixed. So uh, there are some aspects that were better in the metformin group but other aspects uh, were attenuated or um, we didn't see as many gains or variability as we would uh, see in the placebo group. And in those instances, it was not necessarily a good thing. Um, so we, we didn't see the cellular changes associated with better physical fitness. Interesting. So I can't just take Matt so, and, and live longer. <laughs> yeah, I would not. Right. You know, at this point, I don't think we have yeah. the evidence uh, to do that. I'm, I'm sure there are some providers, physicians, scientists oh, yeah. um, who have additional thoughts on that. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, this has been a great talk it's been conversation. Awesome. Loved having you. Um, for any of the audience members who may have some questions or want to, just want to be able to reach out to you, could you provide an email address that they could send you a quick note on? Sure. Um, so my email address is uh, Thomas underscore Johnson. So T-H-O-M-A-S underscore J-O-H-N-S-O-N 
at alumni, A-L-U-M-N-I dot Baylor, B-A-Y-L-O-R dot E-D-U. Um, if somebody wants to reach out to me on Twitter instead, my Twitter is T-M, as in Michael, T-M Johnson, M-D. Awesome. Very Thank good. you so much. It was awesome. Thanks. Great having you. Thank you all. It was, yeah, of course. It was great. It was great talking. Thank you for having me.